the teams you care about. The Patriots are now closer to the bottom of the AFC than the top. That's a fact. The stories that matter to you. Trevor Story, man, he makes the Red Sox much, much better in 2022. This is your home for New England sports. I I'm just wondering what happens next for UVA because I think there could be a lot of turnover on that roster. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Thursday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show, all 90 minutes, up until 7 o'clock. Jazz with George Thomas comes on then, and then it's Eye on the World up at 9. Ton to get to. Part of my conversation throughout the show with Matt Verderam, the NFL director at fansided.com. We go, get into some really interesting stuff from Jeff Passett of ESPN on Trevor Story, now of the Red Sox. And speaking of Trevor Story, we'll talk more about him with Buster Olney of ESPN, who will stop by at 545 as usual here on these Thursdays. You can get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can also get in on the brand new Facebook live stream and YouTube live as well. So let's waste no time, everybody, and let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at Sticks and Stuff. Com. The NFL is changing before our very eyes. The way that NFL teams build is changing before our very eyes. I'm 32 years old, and when I was growing up, big-time player trades, they were just not a thing in the NFL. Like, before I turned... Uh, 15, I can't even remember NFL players getting traded. Before I turned 25, I I can't tell you many big-time players that got traded. Randy Moss, Jay Cutler, like Ricky Williams. Well, no, actually, that was a bunch of draft picks so someone could draft Ricky Williams. Like, big players, big-time players just weren't traded in the NFL I grew up watching. We are now in a totally different era of NFL football. We used to see draft picks traded. We'd see some lower-level trades where maybe players were traded for picks. But by and large, trading was not that big a part of the NFL's roster-building process. It is now. This has been the craziest offseason I can remember. And it's coming off what probably last year we said was the craziest offseason that we could remember. And it's due in large part to the way that NFL teams are now doing business. Teams don't worry about the cap as much. Some teams don't value draft picks as much, especially the teams that are close or are closing in on a title. And the trade has become a much bigger part of the way teams do business. Just look at this year. Just look at the last month and a half in the NFL. Russell Wilson traded to Denver. Tyreek Hill traded to Miami. Devontae Adams traded to Vegas. Khalil Mack traded to the Chargers. Amari Cooper to the Browns. Deshaun Watson to the Browns. Matt Ryan to the Colts. Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz was traded last year. Like This is insane. And a lot of the players that are changing hands, they are 
stars. Russell Wilson's a star. Tyreek Hill is a star. Devontae Adams is a star. Khalil Mack is a star. Amari Cooper's very good. Deshaun Watson, from a football-playing standpoint only, he is a star. This didn't used to happen, but it's happening now. The draft is still important in a lot of ways, and it's still important to a lot of teams, but the teams that are going for it, they are going for it in ways that we had never seen them go for it before. Teams are now looking to swing big. And I I don't remember growing up seeing NFL teams swing this big and this often. And I asked Matt Verderam, the NFL director at fansided.com, I spoke with him earlier today. I asked him about why we're seeing so much trading and where you know, when and where did the trade become popular? Because Matt's about the same age as me. We didn't grow up with this. Where did this come from? Why are we seeing it now? I think it's just become with more younger GMs moving into these roles. We've just seen more. Like, I, I think if you look around the league, most of the GMs are young guys. Um, and a lot of the teams that have been involved in trade, you know, your your Seahawks with John Schneider, right? Fred yeah. Beach with the Chiefs. Les Snead with the Rams. Brandon Bean with the Bills. Um, they're young guys. That would make sense, right? Young guys tend to take more risks. Young guys have more of a stomach for risks. More new blood, more new money, and more differing ways of doing things. That makes sense. I mean, look, however, what Matt says makes sense. However we got here, though, we are here. There was all the trades I just listed this year, and then there's last year. Matt Stafford. There's last year, again, Carson Wentz. Before that, Stephon Diggs, Jamal Adams, Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, the amount of stars changing zip codes is just insane. This is great from the fans' perspective. All this turnover, all this excitement is great from the fans' perspective. It's great for the league's perspective that it's constantly in the news. It's great for me, business-wise, and that we have things to talk about. Like, for the most part, like we shouldn't be having this much to talk about right now, and yet we do, and a lot of it driven by the NFL. And it's just unreal. The NFL, sports in general, remain the best reality TV, but but the NFL right now is certainly the top the top dog in that reality TV race. So we're seeing. It's just I've never seen this before. This is the new NFL. Big shots, big risks, big money, big swings, and young GMs willing to stomach all of it in the goal of building a Super Bowl champion. My question for the room right now, though, 802-585-3026, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Matt Verderam says, I think a lot of these trades come from Young general managers come from young blood getting into the front office. We know what Bill Belichick is. Bill Belichick is older. Bill Belichick is not the young guys that Matt Verderam is talking about. My question to the room, has Bill Belichick become too safe? I'm not asking if he's outdated. I'm not asking if he can't keep up with today's NFL but this is a new NFL. Has Bill Belichick become too safe? Because when is the last time that you really remember the Patriots 
swinging big in the trade market. I mean, really. I've been here six years. I can't remember a big trade that they made to acquire somebody. I can think of trades they made to send somebody away. But going back to what? 2007? When they acquire Randy Moss? like That feels like the last big shot I can remember the Patriots taking in the trade market. They've traded away Logan Mankins, and they've traded away Chandler Jones, and they've traded away Stephon Gilmore, and they've traded away Jamie Collins. They've traded away players, but they don't take big shots in the trade market. They're not willing. Bill Belichick is, I think, risk-averse when it comes to the trade market, and you can't be risk-averse now. Not in today's NFL. The rules have changed. The Rams have swung big. They won the Super Bowl. The Dolphins are swinging big. The Browns have swung big. It hasn't worked for everybody, but these teams have decided if we're going down, we're going down swinging. And the Patriots, they're not swinging. Again, it doesn't mean that Belichick is an old dinosaur who doesn't belong in the sport. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that the rules have now changed. The rules are now different, and the Patriots have to adjust, and they have to keep up. Because what the Patriots are doing, and what I have long held foundational, it's not the way anymore. I've always believed draft, develop, hoard your draft picks, trade people away if you have to, get more draft picks, get younger, get cheaper, get more athletic, and then go sign somebody big with all that money. Now... Teams are saying, you know what? We'll trade our capital. We'll t- we'll trade our draft picks. We'll trade our lottery tickets for a more proven commodity. And if we have to spend big, we're going to do it. If we're going down, we're going down swinging. Patriots aren't doing that. They're going to need to start because Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill. And look, I don't want Tyreek Hill for multiple reasons, but Tyreek Hill, Amari Cooper, Stephon Diggs, they're all guys that were available. Devontae Adams, they're all guys that were available. And the Patriots couldn't get any of them at various points. Probably why? Because they are risk-averse in that regard. They haven't been ready for what the NFL has been doing. They're going to need to get ready. The Patriots are falling behind. They are not as good as other teams around the league and other teams around the league, they are taking shots and the Patriots are not. Ray and Warren says Green Bay has given up a ton to keep Rodgers. I'm not sure if that's progressive or not. I mean, the Packers, I would say, look, they are risk averse also, right? They don't sign to huge contracts. They don't go for huge trades. Now, they yes, they sign to keep Rodgers, but they don't bring in big names from outside the organization. They're very, very kind of insular in that regard. I would say the Packers are kind of in that same boat as the Patriots. They have been unwilling to take those big shots. Ralph over in New York, I think he wanted to work with what he had, and Brady made that easier. You have to keep up with the Joneses. Well, yeah, when you had Tom Brady, you didn't have to take the big shots. People would flock to play with Brady, and they would often take less. That's not the case now. You are in a diff- you are in a different NFL and you are in a different spot than you were 
just a couple of years ago. You don't have Tom Brady. You don't have the built-in attraction that you had for at least a decade, 15 years probably, where the Patriots were winning. You don't have that anymore. You've got to play the game that everybody else is playing, and everybody else is playing the swing big, take shots, get stars game, and the Patriots haven't, and right now they're being left behind. Bill Belichick knows the league. Bill Belichick knows trends. He sees what's going on, but he's got to be willing to go and play that game too. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joe says in Bill We Trust, the Pats have always played it safe, and I feel that has hurt in some years. If you aren't risking it, you're not trying in this day and age. So he says in Bill We Trust, but also acknowledges the team has to change their methodology. Someone who changed his methodology is Trevor Story. Trevor Story is playing second base instead of shortstop. What does it mean for the future of Xander Bogarts? Buster Olney is going to join us. He just got back from spring training himself. He saw the Red Sox. He's going to be with us next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on this Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're getting closer and closer to opening day. Red Sox baseball at two and a half weeks from now or so. And joining us now to talk about all the excitement around your Boston Red Sox is our ESPN MLB insider and Randolph Center Vermont native Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, looking forward to that first series. Red Sox Yankees on that Sunday night. Uh, that'll be our first Sunday night broadcast yeah, uh, I'm look- from Yankee Stadium. I'm looking forward to it as well. It's going to be awesome to see the Sox and Yankees open up the year. You were in Red Sox camp a couple of times over the last week. We'll get to your experience there in a second. But last week, you called out High and Bloom. It's actually one of the more harsh things I think I've heard you say in the five years I've been talking to you. You said, I wonder if he's basically got the chops, the aggressiveness for the Boston market. Does the Trevor Story signing change your perspective from a week ago? Yes, uh, they needed to do something. They had opportunities to do something. Uh, and I, I still think when you, uh, you know, now that the dust has settled on the major moves, that the better move for the Red Sox uh, would have been Freddie Freeman. Yeah. I think that's, uh, you know, see where the numbers land on the dollars. But Trevor Story is an excellent addition. And obviously, uh, by getting him, you put him at second base, it improves your infield, it improves your everyday lineup. And it also puts in place a great safety net for 2023 and beyond in case Xander Bogart opts out of his contract and lands with another team. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it was uh, great that besides time and besides Alex Cora, that you had the, the Red Sox players fully invested in the process of trying to recruit Trevor Story, who really wants to win. From what I understand, uh, you know, Trevor had other opportunities. Like he had places he could go. Uh, but for teams that weren't necessarily going to contend and being on a contender was really important to them. Yeah, Buster, it's it's interesting the way you said that. The Trevor story is a great safety net. So I guess the, if I had one question to ask Kyan Bloom, I would ask him basically that. Did you get Trevor story as great insurance in case Xander Bogarts leaves, or did you get Trevor story because you're not planning on Xander Bogarts being back and you don't care about that? That's the one question I would have for him. Well, I think that, you know, because 
Uh, we know that uh, Xander's in the midst of a contract that uh, is a team-friendly contract considering where his offensive production is, and he's represented by Scott Boris. And if you look at the history of Boris players, you know, Corey Seager being a great example of that. Uh, Carlos Correa just left the Minnesota, uh, excuse me, the Houston Astros this time with the Minnesota Twins. Uh, if Xander Bogart goes out in the marketplace, then there's a good chance he's going to leave. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, but, uh, you know, how that goes. You know, they, they get story as a backup plan. I think the one thing that's important to remember about story, part of the reason that he was the last of the shortstops who was unsigned among these elite guys was because there was a lot of concern about his elbow among other teams. Uh, it's clear, if you look at the velocity of his throws last season, that there was an issue after May. And there were teams who looked into his background and thought, you know what, there's a chance in the years ahead that this is someone who might need Tommy John surgery. Mm -hmm. That's something we heard about uh, with Masahiro Tanaka for years. <laughs> you know, he had the partially, Tanaka had that partially torn elbow ligament. He never blew out. You know, that, that ticking time bomb never went off. Uh, and you hope from the Red Sox perspective, for Trevor Story's perspective, that's the case with him. But there was legitimate concern among other teams about uh, you know how uh, Story's elbow would hold up during the course of a long-term deal. You know, Buster, I got to give you a lot of credit. I went through our sound archives, and there it was, December twenty-third of two thousand twenty-one, day before Christmas Eve. First off, shout out to you coming off day, be day before Christmas Eve. And second off, there was you saying the Red Sox are a dark horse for Trevor Story. So you'd been on this for three months already. And that was because what we heard a lot of was that the Red Sox quietly were doing a lot of background on infielders. Uh, and, you know, if, if this had been something that they had done in November, maybe there would have been more time for them to talk to Xander Bogarts about a position change. But the way that it played out, where Trevor, you know, winds up signing uh, not, not long before the start of the season, I think it's the exact right thing to do. Leave Xander Bogarts at shortstop. Leave Rafael Devers at third base. Have Trevor Story play second base. And there's no question that the perception of that position change from shortstop to second base has completely changed since they made those new rules against uh, you know base runners going into middle infielders at second base. The slide rule has changed that equation. It used to be the most difficult part of a transition for anybody going mm. to second base was how they would handle an oncoming runner. Well, that's not an issue anymore, yeah. as you know. Good point. Uh, a guy you know, can now take a throw at second base with his back to the runner and be confident that he's not going to get run over in a way that uh, second baseman used to. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider, here with us on this Thursday on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Look, the Red Sox still have questions. They have questions in the bullpen, questions with Chris Sale's injury. So they're not a perfect team, but I, th I think the story move makes them a lot better. You and I were talking in the commercial break. The Vegas over-unders on the Red Sox don't think very highly of them. So w where do you think this team really projects after the addition of story? Yeah, some of the over-unders that we saw before the story move were about 85 and a half. I personally think that's certainly low. <laughs> uh, I think the, you know, the unseen part, and here's the great part of what Hein Bloom has done. He has, he has added to the Red Sox depth tremendously. Uh, I think they're in so much better position than they were two years ago in terms of being able to fill in gaps and, and able to have uh, – you know, options in case of injuries. And that's why 85 and a half for a team that has improved depth and has Xander Bogarts and has Devers 
uh, that feels really low to me. Uh, I don't know at this moment, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick the Blue Jays to win the division. At this moment, you know, comparing the Red Sox to the Yankees, I think Boston's the second-best team in the yeah. division. Tampa Bay is always difficult. And I'd say this, you know, when we talk about their rotation, you've got Nathan Evaldi. Uh, you know, two years ago, people were talking about how his contract was a bad deal. Well, to have Evaldi now in 2022 on a one-year deal before he hits free agency at that salary, that's a great situation. Uh, you know, Tanner Houck, I think it's someone who could have high impact on this team. He looks like he's got a ton of talent. Chris Dale, as Alex Kors said last week, uh, the one good thing while he's got the stress fractures ripped, you feel good that when he does come back, his arm's in a good place. He'll be two years removed from Tommy John surgery. So I think their pitching is going to be better than what the general perception is. You know, you were down in Red Sox camp, and the big story that came out at the end of the week, and I don't, you weren't there at this point, but the big story that came down at the end of the week was that they had avoided an arbitration hearing with Rafael Devers, and I thought that was huge. We saw the damage done to the Red Sox relationship with Mookie Betts over that. Marcus Stroman in Toronto, Dellen Betances with the Yankees. Players do not like arbitration court hearings, so I think it's crucial the Red Sox didn't do that with Devers. Now the question is, when are they going to start talking to him about a long-term deal? Because that seems, if you, especially if you're banking on Bogarts leaving, Devers seems like a guy you cannot lose. So why haven't they spoken to him yet about that? I wouldn't be surprised if they did bring it up, but we'll circle back to the same name. Who's his agent? Scott Boris, mm. <laughs> who always takes his clients into free agency. Uh, I, and I, you know, it's interesting because Scott used to be a guy who regularly took his clients into arbitration. But in recent years, he has been uh, settling uh, before they get to arbitration cases, and I think, think that's what he did here. You know, may, and I think it's great for the player, right? You, you get a if you're Raphael Devers, you get a great salary rather than have to, and and you you land on that as opposed to sitting in an arbitration hearing and hearing the Red Sox run you down. I think it's good that they did that. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be difficult for them to reach a long-term deal with Devers as it gets closer to free agency because he is going to be expensive yeah. to see him and Juan Soto potentially in the same free agent class would be unbelievable in terms of the amount of money they make and Scott Boris make the vibe in Red Sox camp seems to be pretty optimistic the Sox you know didn't lose their first spring training game until yesterday you know they were six and zero in the spring for whatever that's worth so people are upbeat people are happy people are excited doesn't seem like it's that way at Yankees camp what was your experience like at, uh, at the Steinbrenner complex yeah, look, the Yankee fans are up in arms because they feel like that while the Red Sox have made, you know, now with the story of big move, uh, you know, while the Blue Jays have made a big move, trading for Matt Chapman after the growth of that team at the end of last season, there are a lot of unhappy Yankee fans feeling like, great, our big move was, uh, you know, a deal that brings over 36-year-old Josh Donaldson. I, I would say this, while there's an unhappiness in talk radio about the Yankees offseason, uh, especially when compared to the Mets across town who spent a lot of money. You know, the Yankees are quietly betting that their upgraded defense will make a significant difference. And I don't know if that's going to be the case, but there's no question. They'll be better at catcher now that Gary Sanchez has been moved on. Uh, they'll be better at shortstop. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa uh, is going to be better defensively than what they've had. Having Glaber Torres at second base for a full season as opposed to switching late uh, you know, in the year as he did in 2021, that'll make a difference. To have a full year of Anthony Rizzo, that'll all help the pitching. I do think that you know their, that their bet on the, the defense is going to be decisive. Uh, whether or not 
you know, they actually get, uh, you know, see as much improvement as they anticipate. We'll have a lot to do is whether or not the Yankees make the playoffs. You know, Buster, we get the CBA done two weeks ago, and now we've kind of got like an addendum in the CBA about a couple of rule changes we're going to get for 2022 here. And one of them is bringing back that runner at second to start extra innings. I got to say, I consider myself a a baseball purist and a baseball old soul. I thought I would hate it. I ended up liking it. However, why does it have to start in the 10th inning? Couldn't we play real baseball for the 10th and 11th and then go to this in the 12th hockey? He plays hockey for you know a bit, and then they go to the shootout. Couldn't we do that? Why does it have to be the tenth? Well, and my colleague Carl Rabbit has talked to people, managers who agree with you. You know, there's a feeling among some managers. Look, uh, you know, play the tenth inning straight up, and go to the ghost run in the eleventh inning, the twelfth inning. Put runners at first and second. You know, thirteenth inning, load the bases if you need to at the start of it. Uh, but I. I, I Look, I think it was inevitable that they were going to land on a ghost runner because at the team level, they don't like the extra innings. You know, the crazy 15-inning games. Among players, more and more, I, I heard conversations about from guys saying, I don't like standing out on the field for six hours on those nutty games that go 18 innings. Uh, and, and so I thought that was inevitable. And I would not be surprised. I actually tried to make phone calls on this this morning before I, I talked to you. I would not at all be surprised if you see Major League Baseball Player Association revisit the seven-inning doubleheader rule. Yeah. Uh, you know, for now, they're saying any doubleheader would have nine innings. I know at the team level, among players, they like the seven-inning doubleheaders. They don't like, you know, the idea of being out on a field for 12 hours, you know, if they, you know, if they especially if you go to a split doubleheader. Uh, and so I would not be surprised if uh, if there are more conversations about bringing that rule back as well because it's got a lot of support within the game. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this quickly. We talked about the Red Sox over-under. I, I know there was one over-under you were feeling particularly that uh, was egregious. Which one was that? The Baltimore Orioles, are their over-under is 62.5. Definitely under. Represent, you got to go the under <laughs> because – my goodness, 62 wins for the Orioles. 63 wins would be an 11-win improvement over last year. And their big moves of the offseason, season, signing Jordan Lyles, who had a 5-1-5 ERA last year with the Rangers, signing Robinson Torinos, great guy, uh, veteran backup catcher, 37 years old. They've done nothing, and the division around them has gotten better. What in, in God's name <laughs> makes anybody think they're going to be 11 wins better than they were last year? as they go through another year of their tankathon. Yeah, they could. I would bet the family farm back at Randolph Center on the under on this <laughs> on the Orioles. Yeah, they could go, you know, 20 and in 56 in the division. The division is so good. So Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider, Randolph Center Vermont native. Hopefully the farm is still there for you in October and you <laughs> haven't lost it after that bet, but uh, Buster, <laughs> we'll talk to you in 7 days. We'll be closer. I believe yeah, next week when we talk, we will be in April, I believe, and uh, we'll be closer and closer to opening day. That'll be fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Although the the staff is yelling at me, next Thursday is March 31st. Sometimes I forget which ones have 31 and which have 30, so my bad. So next week is still March when we talk to Buster. But nonetheless, the content with Buster will still be great. A lot of great stuff, a lot of things to react to. I want to get to some of it in the 6 o'clock hour as the staff cuts that up. We'll get the CBS National News update, and then when we come back, There's a realization here one year later that what the Patriots did last year was not necessarily wrong, but it was flawed. 
And I'll tell you why. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Had somebody on the... uh, Text line there's well, who's watching on video say, wow, Brady, you're getting catered service. That's right. I told you every Thursday I get dinner from the American Legion Stowe Street here in Waterbury. I'm not joking. Every single Thursday I get it. So today some kind of bacon wrapped chicken, veggies, potatoes, and some chili. And yeah, they brought it over to me. I order it. They bring it over sometimes. They're nice people there. You should get dinner there too, just like I do. It's up until 630. So there you go. I'm glad everybody's watching so intently in the commercial breaks, though. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV. And reminder that when the show is over, you can always download the full podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. In hindsight, one year later, it's pretty evident that the Patriots' spending spree in 2021 was not done right. As we look back at that quarter of a billion dollars the Patriots spent last year, it's pretty evident the Patriots made a mistake in how they built their roster. And I wasn't smart enough to see it at the time. I I wasn't. We applauded the moves at the time. But looking back, I think we can see the Patriots did not do a great job last year in their spending spree. It's not that the methodology was bad. It's that the execution was was not great. And now in today's NFL, your execution has to be great. And here's what I mean. We've talked a lot over the last year and a half that this show has existed. We've talked a lot about the idea of a rookie contract for your quarterback and what it means for your team. And when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, you need to take shots and you need to surround him with can't-miss talent, right? You've heard me talk about this a ton. Miami has a rookie quarterback contract. They go spend big, both in draft capital and money, and they get Tyreek Hill. And they draft Jalen Waddell. And they bring in Cedric Wilson. And they franchise tag Mike Gesicki. And they sign Teron Armstead on the offensive line. And they can bring in, uh, you know, they can keep Xavier Howard in their secondary. They're swinging big. Buffalo has Josh Allen on a rookie contract and they trade for Stefan Diggs and they sign Cole Beasley and they pay Tredavious White and they get a great back end of their secondary by signing Jordan Poyer or by getting Jordan Poyer and by bringing in Micah Hyde. They swing big. Cleveland, I know it doesn't work out for them with Baker Mayfield, but they bring in Jarvis Landry and they pay Miles Garrett and they get Nick Chubb and they get Kareem Hunt, and they bring in David Njoku and Austin Hooper, and they trade for Odell Beckham Jr. They swung big. The Rams for Jared Goff, who do they get? Robert Woods and Jalen Ramsey and Akeem Tlaib, I think, is in there too. And they paid Todd Gurley, and they traded. For, they brought in Brandon Cooks. Like They swung big. You get the point, right? These teams with rookie quarterback contracts, they added stars. And most of the players I listed, they were all excellent for those teams, right? Dak, Dallas goes and gets Amari Cooper. These teams 
added stars for their young quarterbacks. And what did the Patriots add? Ask yourself, what did the Patriots add? 37 catch Nelson Aguilar. 28 catch Jonu Smith. A cornerback who's not a big play machine in Jalen Mills. An interior lineman who didn't put up huge numbers in Devon Godshaw. That's what the Patriots added. And in this offseason, they've basically added nothing. With their rookie quarterback, they have, I would not say completely whiffed, but they haven't added the caliber of players that those other teams have added with their rookie quarterback contract. A year later, we can now look back at the Patriots' spending spree and say they struck out more than they hit, and that's the problem. It's not that it's, that it's bad to spend big but the Patriots clearly spent on the wrong guys. Where is their Tyreek Hill shot? Where is their Stephon Diggs shot? Where is their Jalen Ramsey shot? It's not there. And I spoke about this with Matt Verderam, the NFL director at Fansided, earlier today too. You and I had conversations about this many times. I, I hated what they did last offseason. Hated it. And I, I, I was on record probably on this show saying the only guy I liked that they got last year was Junon who was terrific. Hunter Henry, you could argue, will get touchdowns. So if you want to argue that deal was worth it, fine. You're going to tell me Johnny Smith was worth that money? Johnny Smith was not worth that money the second they signed that contract. Like, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, they're, they're guys. Like, that's why I hate what Jacksonville did this offseason. If you're going to go out and spend that kind of money, you better be bringing back guys. That when, the, when you play an opponent, that opponent is circling those guys on the, the game plan. Yeah, the Patriots last year and their spending spree – they got Jags, just a guy. They didn't get stars. Matthew Judon for 10 weeks was a star, and then he became a guy. We'll say that that one hit. I like Kendrick Bourne. I like Hunter Henry, too. So I give them more of a hit rate than Verderam does. But Jonu Smith, busted last year. Nelson Aguilar, busted last year. Jalen Mills, he was good in the slot. He was good, but he's not a star and they signed him to pretty darn good money. If you you have to take shots, you have to bring in stars. When your rookie quarterback is on a rookie deal and is cheap, you have to bring in real talent, star power, not just pretty, not just okay, not just pretty good, not just better than what we had. We all loved what the Pats did in 2021. At the time, because it was way better than 2020. Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne looked a hell of a lot better than Demir Bird and a younger Jacoby Myers, didn't they? And Nikhil Harry. That's why we loved it. Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry looked a whole lot better than Ryan Izzo and Dalton Keene. Didn't it? That's why we loved it. But a year later, when I see that other teams are getting Amari Cooper and other teams are bringing in Tyreek Hill and that Stephon Diggs was got, you're realizing that what the Patriots did, not the methodology was bad, but that the execution was poor. You are now left, if you're the Patriots, with Mac Jones, who who we is, who is good. Mac Jones is good. But in the AFC around the Patriots, you can't get by with a good quarterback and an average to below average supporting cast. We'll say, the Pat, we'll say the Pats have an average supporting cast. You can't get by with that. Good quarterback, average supporting cast is not going to win. 
you need a lot of great on your roster in the AFC now, and the Patriots don't have great. They're falling behind in the AFC. And last year, while we championed it at the time, the Pats' execution was poor. You look back and you say, the Patriots last year made, made the wrong big moves. Nelson, Tyreek Hill's available and you got Nelson Aguilar. Devontae Adams is available and you got Kendrick Bourne, even though I like Kendrick Bourne. These are the guys that were available and you paid other guys and you didn't necessarily make the right choices. And in comparison, it looks like you definitely didn't make the wrong choices. And you know, the other thing that these kind of big moves allow is that they allow teams quickly to see if their young quarterback is any good. And that's really what the whole league comes down to, isn't it? Anyways, is my quarterback good? You want to get your answer on your quarterback. And the quickest way to get an answer on your quarterback is to surround him with huge talent and then see what they look like. It's what the Dolphins are now doing with Tua. Ryan Clark of ESPN agrees with me on that one. There's no gray area. There's going to be no way where you can say, well, I didn't have the pieces around me. You've given him everything he needs to succeed. And we're forgetting that Mike McDaniels coming from that Kyle Shanahan tree and the way that they can scheme plays, the way that they can call plays, and being able to kind of tutor and bring Tua Tungvaloa along in that sort of offense, I think sky's the limit for him. The Dolphins are going to get the answer on Tua. In Clark's words, there is no gray area. If he can't win with this collection of talent, then he can't win. The Browns flooded Baker Mayfield with talent. They decided he wasn't good enough, and they're moving on. Buffalo surrounded Josh Allen with talent, saw he was a stud, and keep him around and pay him as a stud. If you want to know if Mac Jones is truly any good, and if you want to know if he's truly ever going to be worth big money, then you need to be willing to take the shots that other teams are willing to take to get the answer on their quarterback. Get the answer on yours. Mac was good last year against a bad schedule. I imagine this year he'll be average to slightly below average based on how loaded the AFC is. So how do we how can we really fairly judge Mac Jones? Is he himself average? Or is he a product of not having a ton of help around him and the Patriots haven't given him that ton of help? I want the answers to those questions. And if you want the answers to those questions too, you've got to give Mac Jones every opportunity to succeed. If he runs with it, then he's a guy that I'll admit I was wrong about and you can build around for a decade and pay big money to. But if you, if you surround him with talent and he falters like Baker then you'll decide that this is a guy we can't pay $40 million a year to. And we've heard this methodology around quarterbacks for a while. I went way deep into our archives today. December 28th, 2020, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, was on this show, and he was talking about this exact concept. They've gone down the path where if they were going to fail with Allen, they were going to fail quickly. And and I like that. I, I think Denver's done the same thing with Drew Locke. When you consistently put talent around a young quarterback, you find out the most about him right away. Put the talent around your young quarterback. Learn about him. Get the answer on Mac. Put yourself in a position to compete and then see what happens. Because right now the Patriots are just kind of hanging Mac Jones out to dry here. In this AFC, they're hanging him out to dry. 
He's got average talent around him now. The AFC is loaded. And the Patriots don't have a great answer on him yet. Put dudes around him. Get him help so you can properly evaluate him and you can properly compete as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Okay, we do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at only $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So unlimited car washes, $20 a month. One free one, word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. You know, we've all been worried about what impact Trevor Story signing in Boston would have on Xander Bogarts. We've all worried about what it means for the future. But I do think it should not go unreported that Bogarts helped recruit Story to Boston, and Story acknowledged that yesterday. Here's what he said about guys who helped him make this decision. These guys, you know, AC and, you know, Kike and, um, you know, Sale and Bogey, all these guys have reached out to me and, um, you know, already made me feel so much at home. I haven't really met those guys in person just yet, obviously just from playing on the field with them. But, um, you know, they, they've been more than welcoming and, you uh, those are the guys that, that get me excited about playing here. I think Bogart's helping recruit story is a big deal. Why did Tom Brady not like the Patriots drafting Jimmy Garoppolo? Because he was his replacement. You generally don't like your replacement. Why did Peyton Manning not like Brock Osweiler? Same thing. Why did Joe Flacco say, I don't want to work with Drew Locke in Denver? Guys are protective of their spots. Guys don't want other guys infringing on their turf. And the fact that Bogarts reached out to Trevor Story to recruit him to Boston, I do think that that is a big deal. And Tom Karen of Nesson told us the same thing yesterday. The fact that Jander Bogarts, uh, a guy who plays his position, said, listen, I, I want you here. You make us better. Uh, I want to win. I, I think we know he's got two championships. He's day one, Xander Bogarts. Is, is the ultimate winner. He's a guy who really doesn't have a huge ego considering what a superstar he is. Uh, and, and so I think that meant a lot to story and really helped close the deal. So if we're going to opine on what this all means for the future, what this signing means for the future of Bogarts, and if people are going to say it means bad things for the future, let's at least acknowledge that Bogarts did go out of his way to get Story in Boston. I don't know. Maybe the signing of Story does mean that Bogarts wants to leave. But at the very least, it needs to be acknowledged that Bogarts put his ego aside, at least for a year, you know, to try to bring in a guy to make the team better. So I thought that was good. I just wish I fully knew Bogarts' mindset on things. Is he thinking long-term and that bringing Story in long-term allows him to win more championships in Boston? Is that what Bogarts is thinking? Is he just thinking about this year truly and, hey, Story makes the team better this year and worry about next year, next year? Or is Bogart's thinking, I'm already gone. Let's get the team as good as possible now while I'm here. 
And then I'm going to leave anyway, so none of it matters to me. I wish that I knew how Bogarts was feeling about everything. I also thought, quickly, two other things were interesting today. Here was Trevor's story yesterday about why he agreed to move to second base. Listen to this closely. You know, it was uh, something that me and my family and, and my team had to talk about a lot. At the end of the day, like I said, it, you know, it kind of came down to, you know, I've been, I've been saying, you know, my, my whole career that uh, it's about winning. And I felt that this was the, you know, a really good fit for me um, to play second this year uh, on this team, on the Red Sox. And that's really what it came down to. I think that's really interesting. Guys, can we play maybe the end of that clip? Listen carefully. Uh, on this team, on the Red Sox. And that's really what it came down to. Okay, not quite that far. Let's get it one more time a little bit uh further back can we do that uh, let's see maybe here um, to play second this year okay that was about it okay really good fit for me um, to play second this year it's a really good fit for me to play second this year maybe that's a Freudian slip maybe it's nothing but Trevor story did not say that it was good to play second base in general, he said it's a good fit for me to play second base this year. Very interesting. I think shortstop is clearly on Trevor Story's mind. I do not think he signed in Boston, you know, foreseeing that he was going to be a second baseman forever. So I think that Alex Cora is going to be huge here in managing expectations and managing the future. If Xander Bogarts is going to leave, I think Story looks at it like Bogarts may leave and I'm going to take shortstop. Or maybe there's a conversation to be had where I can get shortstop and Bogey has to move positions if he's going to stay here. But Trevor Story clearly thinks of himself as playing shortstop again. That was evident to me there. You can tell me if I'm, if I'm overreacting, but... When I heard him say that, he said it was a great fit for me to play second base this year. He did not say it was a great fit for me to play second base, period. This year. So I think in his mind, there's absolutely a chance he goes back to shortstop. And there's a conversation to be had about maybe how to make it work with Bogey where he can get back there, too. I, I thought that that was very interesting. And then... He went on WEEI in Boston, too, shortly after the clip that I heard. And let's see. Um, here's his answer from a little while ago on the radio in Boston. Same question. Idea playing second base. Um, is, that a, is that a temporary thing, or can you see yourself as just being Trevor Story, second baseman for the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, to be determined. Um, you know, I'm... I was open to coming here and playing second, um, you know, next to Bogey and on a team that I really believed was, was going to be in contention and, and that could win a championship. And um, so, yeah, I think it's kind of just uh, this year, you know, I'm playing second and, um, you know, what kind of whatever whatever the landscape of that looks like next year or going forward, I think it's, uh, you know, a decision to be made later on. A decision to be made later on. Says it's like I'm playing second this year. He said, I think, I think somewhere in there he said, to be determined. I, I think that there's a – I don't think that Trevor Story is okay not playing shortstop for 
the rest of his career. I think there's a battle to be had here. So Alex Cora is going to be huge in managing egos and expectations. Maybe this year everyone's fine, but if Xander Bogarts wants to stay, then, I mean, there's going to be some real massaging of egos here trying to figure out who plays where. I, I picked up on that. It was very, very interesting. The WEEI comments by story really kind of showed me the exact same thing. So it's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Interesting nugget on story today from Jeff Passan of ESPN. Story was unvaccinated, therefore would have been ineligible to play in huge games in Toronto against the Blue Jays. Now, Story has agreed to get vaccinated, making it not an issue. But would you have signed Trevor Story, even if he was unvaccinated and had to miss those key games against your division rival? I'll tell you why I still would have done it. How about you? That's next in WDEV. The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Going up until 7 o'clock today, and then it's Jazz with George Thomas. After that is Eye on the World with John Batchelor, our new program here on WDEV. The show today with well, me brought to you by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at prodrivercdl.com. That's prodrivercdl.com. Locations in Enosburg and in Milton. The Trevor Story nugget today from Jeff Passan of ESPN was very interesting. And this, this was odd when I started to think about it too. <laughs> Sunday morning, I'm lying in bed. It might be 9 o'clock. Like, I woke up, and then I went back and laid down. So I'm lying in bed, and I see Red Sox are in agreement with Trevor Story. Six years, $140 million. All of Sunday passes. No official contract, no press conference, no picture with the jersey, nothing from the team Twitter account. Okay. Monday passes. Same thing. Tuesday passes. Same thing. Now it's like, where is the announcement? You know, if this was December, wouldn't have been a big deal. This is March. It's late March. And the season is two weeks away from starting. I'm like, this guy's got to get to camp. Why is he not here? This is an urgent situation. Well, we get the press conference yesterday. But Jeff Passan of ESPN writes a story today about kind of the pursuit of story. The Red Sox had the agreement, and then there was concern over Story's vaccination status. Story was unvaccinated. Story would have not been allowed to play in Toronto. Now, remember, the Canadian government, or maybe it's the government of Ontario, rather, has a rule that everybody who plays there has to be vaccinated. Everybody. Blue Jays players and all of their opponents. If you are not vaccinated, you cannot come over the border and play. So the Red Sox, you know, reportedly were kind of hemming and hawing with story over that issue. And now the contract is signed and story has agreed. He's either gotten vaccinated like in the last few days or he's agreed to get vaccinated. I'm not sure which one it is, but he has said 
And he said very little about his vaccination status. But he has said that he is now going to be available to play all 162 games in the regular season for the Red Sox. So he's going to be available to play in Toronto. My question for all of you is, 802-585-3026, if Trevor Story refused to get vaccinated and couldn't play in Toronto, those 10 games, would you have signed him or would you have said no? If Trevor Story says, I'm not going to get vaccinated, so I'm going to miss the 10 games in Toronto, but I'll play in the rest, would you have signed him yes or no? 802-585-3026. My answer is yes. My answer is a resounding yes. If, on, on this condition, if the team leadership was okay with him being unvaccinated and missing those games, then I would have done it. I would have consulted my team leadership. I would have gone to the voices in my clubhouse that I respect and that people respect. And I would have asked them. And if they came back to me and said, we're good with it, then I would have been good with it. And I still would have signed Trevor Story. Those 10 games this year in Toronto were huge. Those 10 games in Toronto are going to be massive. You would hate to have Story unavailable for them. But... If I had Trevor Story available for 152 games and Christian Arroyo had to play 10 at second base, that to me is a hell of a lot better than having no Trevor Story at all and having to play Christian Arroyo for all 162. That's how I look at it. If the team leadership group was okay, if my leadership council, if I go to Xander Bogarts and say, look, Story's not vaccinated. He's not going to be able to play in Toronto. Do you still want him? If Bogart said yes, I'm in. If Christian Vasquez said yes, I'm in. If, um, you know, if if Matt Barnes said, yeah, I'm in. If veteran leaders on this team said that they were okay with it, then I still would have done it. Because those 152 games of story are better than not having story at all and playing Christian Arroyo for 162 games at second base. Christian Arroyo's offense is not as good as story, and Christian Arroyo, one of his best tools is his versatility, and now I can move him around the infield for the rest of the season when story is playing. I get it's tough. I get it would be hard to not have story, but if if my leadership group tells me there's not going to be problems in the locker room, I would have done it. If they said, "Hey, there's going to be resentment," then, then I would then I would strongly consider not doing it. In fact, if my leadership group told me they're not okay with it, then I wouldn't do it. But look, this team all—Chris Sale's not vaccinated. They seem to support him. So if Chris Sale's not going to be vaccinated, and that's your number one pitcher, and he's going to miss multiple starts in Toronto, then I got to be okay with Trevor Story missing some games in Toronto too. I mean, and look, I totally get it. Getting vaccinated shows a commitment. It shows a, a team above self. Like, that's good. But this isn't the Kyrie Irving situation. Kyrie Irving, by not playing home games in Brooklyn, was looking at missing 50% of his games by not being vaccinated. If Trevor Story missed 10 games in Toronto, that's 6% of the Red Sox season. If Trevor Story can play 94% of my season, I would have been fine with him being unvaccinated 
as long as my leadership group was okay with it. How about you? 802-585-3026. Norm says, yes, he would have given him the money all day, but ironically enough, uh, Bill over in East Montpelier says, no, if Story won't get vaccinated to, for the team, then he is a selfish player. So personal decision, totally get it, totally respect it. Um, if he can play 94% of the season, then I'd be in. And this isn't this isn't Kyrie, right? If I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I'm upset with Kyrie missing 50% of my season by not playing in any of the 41 home games. That would be resentful. Trevor Story missing 10 shorter, you know, lesser than the the this, you know, one stint on the injured list. I could get around it. For 152 games of productivity, if Trevor Story hits 28 home runs and brings in 95, then I'm going to be good with it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Um, look, I and I thought we were done talking about vaccines and sports. Like My goal is just to talk about bats and balls and, and football fields and hockey rinks. Like, that's my goal in this business. It's not to talk about vaccines, but, you know, such is life over the last year and a half. But uh, the New York City vaccine mandate is now ending for athletes. So if you missed this, New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced today that the mandate for unvaccinated athletes and performers has been lifted, saying it's about putting New York athletes on a level playing field. We were treating our performers differently because they live and play in New York City. What this means in the short and long term is that Yankees and Mets players can now play even if they're unvaccinated. Nets and Knicks players can now play if they are unvaccinated as well. So let's just kind of run through it logically. One, when it comes to baseball, it's a huge deal for the Yankees and Mets and therefore a huge deal for the Red Sox who play the Yankees, you know, probably nine or ten times in New York this year. The Yankees have 81 home games. If those 81 home games were forced to be played without some starting member of the Yankees' usual lineup, that's a huge competitive disadvantage for the Yanks and a huge advantage for every other team in the AL East that comes into Yankee Stadium. So this gets the Yankees and then the Mets in the National League back to neutral and allows them to be themselves roster-wise. We spoke a little while ago about Jeff Passan. He had more. I'll speak to the baseball perspective here. Baseball is an outdoor sport. It really didn't make a ton of sense to begin with, and that that was what people in baseball were pushing for while speaking to New York City Mayor uh, Eric Adams' office. Uh, not, not for a specific baseball cutout or exemption, but uh, the idea that unvaccinated players could come into town, and as long as you're a road team play, but home players, it, it was just really inconsistent from the start. And- yeah, it, it never made sense to allow unvaccinated opponents in and not unvaccinated Yankees or Mets players. I mean, I guess I get the messaging, right? The messaging was that New Yorkers all had to be held to the same standard. And I actually do get that. And the fact that it lasted this long, I actually respect the uh, consistency of the mayor. You don't have to like the policy, but at least for a really long time, he did not make special accommodations just because someone was rich or someone was athletic. But as the pandemic now winds down, it seems like playing outside, you know, makes it okay to be unvaccinated. So, and yeah, Passon's right. It was inconsistent. So I'm for this. As much as I hate the Yankees, I don't want to see, you know, players um, bumped out 
you know, just because they're from New York when, when opponents can come in. So, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's also a huge deal because it means that Kyrie can now start playing home games for Brooklyn. Uh, this completely shifts the balance of power in the Eastern Conference of the NBA. As the playoffs approach, the Nets are now Eastern Conference title contenders as far as I'm concerned. They're currently the eighth seed. They're currently in a play-in game position. But with Kyrie able to play every single game now, they are a team that could play for an, for an NBA championship. They are that dangerous, and they are that scary. A duo of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant for an entire playoff run, home and away games for Brooklyn, that's an incredible duo. And as as the Celtics battle it out for seeding, I'd be wanting to avoid Brooklyn at every cost. I want no part of them moving forward. I want no part. Like if the Celtics are the the one and Brooklyn's the eight, I'd be terrified. If the Celtics are the two and Brooklyn is the seven, I'd be terrified. They are a terrifying matchup in round one with Durant and with Kyrie. I mean, Milwaukee is excellent. Boston's been very good. But if you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you instantly become not only formidable, you become a real threat. And that's exactly where Brooklyn would be with uh, you know as this continues on here or as this mandate winds down from the city of New York. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Former NFL executive Scott Pioli. He's actually applauding what the Patriots have done in their roster building. I'll tell you why he's wrong. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Thank you very much, Freddie, here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up here in about 15 minutes. Interesting comments from former NFL executive Scott Pioli. He was on the NFL Network last night. He had this to say about the Patriots' approach to roster building. You know, this idea of all gas and no brakes isn't always the best way to do business. <laughs> it works sometimes, it's good sometimes, but sometimes you need to tap the brakes and be a little <laughs> bit more patient. And what you need to do is use every single opportunity for player acquisition. You've got to use every single opportunity for player acquisition. Scott is right in that. You do need to get creative. You do need to turn over every rock, look in every nook and cranny. You do need to find those diamonds in the rough, and the Patriots have been good at that historically. All of those kind of players, they help your roster. But that's the thing. They largely help. They don't build your roster. What Scott Pioli is talking about doing is you know, being able to to, to, to round out your roster. He's talking about being able to build around the edges. You can do that once you have the guts of your roster intact. And the Patriots don't have the guts right now. So, yeah, I, I'm with him. All gas, no break, that's not necessarily a great strategy. It's also not great to have all breaks, no gas. 
You've got to find a middle ground. Think about it like you're preparing a dinner, right? You could have great veggies and a great side salad. You could have all this great stuff on the side, all this great stuff on the edge of the plate. But if the steak is overcooked, the meal is done. And that's what the Patriots have right now. Scott Pioli is talking about building up all the trimmings, building up the fruit platter that's on the side, the cheese board that's on the side. He's talking about looking over here and looking over there, and, oh, there's that great side salad, and the dressing is perfect. That's all great. It all helps the meal. But you know what makes the meal? The steak in the center of the plate. And right now, the Patriots' offseason is devoid of steak. It's not. He's right. All gas, no brakes, not the right way to do it. All brakes, no gas, going nowhere, also not the right way to do it. The Patriots need to establish that stake, and that's where they've made the mistake. Look, you you can't afford 15 stars. You can't trade away every draft pick. But the Patriots needed to do something that was big. We talked about this kind of at the beginning of the show. In today's NFL, you've got to swing, and you've got to swing hard. Every now and then. Make the move for Devontae Adams. Then you can go sprinkle in your diamonds in the rough. Make the move for Tyreek Hill. And then you can go sprinkle in your undrafted defensive back. Resign JC Jackson. And then you can go through and pick up somebody off the waiver wire. I'm I'm all for what Scott is saying. Find the diamonds in the rough, the undrafted the Miles Bryant, the undrafted player. Take somebody off someone's practice squad and give them a chance. Give a retread a second chance. I don't care. All of those things are important. But you have to have the stars. A team full of of second chance guys or a team full of, you know, uh, uh, we found them out in, the, you know, in Nowheresville, that's not a team that can win. Think about it like the Red Sox, right? The Red Sox and Patriots right now kind of have the same approach. They've had the same approach. You're high in bloom. Look for the diamonds in the rough. Christian Arroyo, diamond in the rough. 100%. Absolutely. Michael Waka, you know, later career guy, 30-plus years old now. He's been battered around a bit. We'll give him a chance. James Paxton, Tommy John surgery, out till June. We'll take a flyer. All those things are important. Fill around the edges, get in the bullpen a little bit. Jake Diekman, not a closer, but you know, a higher, higher leverage guy. All these moves are important. Kevin Ploiecki last year, bringing him back. But you know why those moves work? Because you've got Xander Bogarts. Because you've got J.D. Martinez. Because you've got Chris Sale. Because you had Mookie Betts. You had stars. You had the nucleus. You had the guts of that roster, and that allowed you to then say, hey, we're pretty good here. Now we can go fill the edges. Now we can go find something else. A whole team full of Christian Arroyos is the Baltimore Orioles. Christian Arroyo works because he's the the, the eight-hitter in this lineup. That, Scott Pioli is telling me to get a team full of Christian Arroyos. That's not going to happen. That, that won't win. So, yeah, get those great extras at your dinner. 
Have a nice pile of cinnamon bread. Have a lovely side salad with a great dressing. How about it? How about a, oh, there's a there's a thing of peanuts over there. Give me all that. It's all important. The steak, the entree, is always going to be the most important. And Scott Pioli, that clip doesn't tell me that he's realizing that. Because the Pats just don't have it. Raiders, they got sizzle, steak and sizzle this offseason. Broncos, steak and sizzle. Dolphins, steak and sizzle. Cleveland, steak and sizzle. Indy, steak and sizzle. Uh, Chargers, steak and sizzle. I mean, Patriots, what'd they get? They got some veggies. They got a little veggie platter. That's it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, NCAA tournament is uh, is coming up tonight. We've got four games. First one is Gonzaga and Arkansas. I really hope Gonzaga wins this game by about twenty. Gonzaga has not looked very good here in the early part of the tournament. Remember, they were they were down ten at the half to Memphis in round two. They were down to a sixteen seed in round one. So I, I don't know that they're long for the tournament at this point. But I hope they beat Arkansas because Arkansas beat UVM. I hope they beat Arkansas because Arkansas beat UVM, and I'm just wired that way. I don't want to see Arkansas continue to do well. We'll see what happens with J.D. Note and with uh, Jalen Williams down below. I'll be interested to see how Timmy and, and Holmgren fare for Gonzaga in this one. Arkansas is certainly athletic, but UVM you know, exposed them in some ways, and Gonzaga is certainly better than UVM, so we'll see what happens. But that's the first game up. we got Coach K going for win number 1201 today against Texas Tech. Arizona, who was on the ropes last time against TCU, they're in action tonight uh, against Houston. That's going to be a fun game where those two, two, two teams are really athletic. And the, the other game is, I think, the 730 game. I think it's Michigan and Villanova. Yeah, so uh, a good kind of um, a good matchup of familiar teams, right? Jawan Howard and Michigan, familiar. Jay Wright and Villanova, familiar as well. You know, Jay Wright is very good friends with our guy, Tom Brennan. TB's out for a couple of weeks, so that's why we haven't. Spoken to him recently, you know, last two weeks, but uh, he's very close with Jay Wright cause from Jay Wright's time coaching in the American East. So, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd root for Villanova there because it would make Coach Brennan happy if Villanova was able to win. We're back at it tomorrow, too, with four more games. One note I want to pass along here is I'm getting some questions on social media about if John Becker, the UVM head coach, is going to go – be the head coach at George Washington. And I do see a couple of Twitter accounts out there saying that, you know, th- that people are hearing that Becker to George Washington is gaining some traction. And I mean, that does make sense, right? Becker is from that area. He started in that area. There are a lot of UVM ties to George Washington. When you talk about Mike Lonergan, you talk about Maurice Joseph. So there are ties to GW and UVM. So that all kind of makes sense. What I will tell you is this. I have reached out to two people today, two sources, two different sources, both of which who are pretty in the know. Neither one of them works for George Washington, but they're pretty in the know. I get the sense that John Becker is certainly not the favorite for the GW job. If you want him to stay at UVM, that's good news for you. I had one source tell me that the last they knew about two days ago was that John Becker was not the favorite. And I had another person today confirm that that's the case. 
and tell me that Becker is certainly not in the driver's seat at GW. So things can change. The first choice or the first two choices, whatever, they can pull out. They can say no, and then it can fall to Becker. I mean, that certainly can happen, but the sense I'm getting right now is that John Becker is not going to end up at George Washington. Not going to end up at George Washington. And frankly, you know, kind of from my own perspective, I think that that would make sense, right? Like, GW, do they really want to hire a guy tied to UVM given the Mike Lonergan stuff that happened there? I don't, maybe they don't, maybe they want to disassociate from Mike Lonergan as much as possible and hiring a guy that, you know, was kind of with Lonergan, that might not be the best thing for GW as an institution. So, We'll see. We'll see where it goes. But again, that's just what I'm hearing right now. John Becker not in the driver's seat at George Washington. So it's a Brady Farkas show. Thanks to Buster Olney for being with us tomorrow. Sarah Langs will be with us from MLB.com. Maybe there'll be some more stuff on the Becker stuff. And Rafael Devers, Red Sox have not offered him a contract extension yet. Why? And how much would it cost to get Devers to stay in Boston? We'll try, we'll try to unpack some of that. That's tomorrow. On the Brady Farkas Show. Right now, it's coming up. Jazz with George Thomas on the other side of the CBS National News Update here on WDEV AM and FM.